Well, it's good to see you this morning, and uh, thank you so much for being here, whether you're here in person or worshiping with us online, and uh, I'm just happy to be upright, amen? And uh, some of you may have noticed I kind of hobbled in here and um, had a great time of uh, getting away with my funny little honey. Uh, came back and was so excited, energized, and then Thursday morning, I got out of the shower and my body went this way and my legs went this way. And needless to say, uh, a bulging disc, a bunch of pinched nerves later, and a sprained back, here I am. So praise the Lord, amen? Uh, the way maker, miracle worker. And so it's good to be in God's house. I do want to give you some exciting news. Uh, this week, uh, we received word that uh, we, there was a minor site adjustment that needed to be made for our steeple, which we've all been waiting for over a year now. Uh, it has been approved at the county, so praise the Lord for that. And uh, also the uh, permits to actually do the work in, inside here in the sanctuary are at the county route now, and we pray that those will be approved uh, even this week. That would be amazing. And so praise the Lord for that. And uh, as Travis said, I do want to encourage you guys, if you can be here on Saturday, Saturday at 2 o'clock, Terry King, uh, bless her heart, uh, certainly COVID-19 has impacted our church uh, with the passing of Terry King, who served uh, with Miss Ruth uh, there in the Joy class and was a wonderful assistant. And just I'll just be honest with you, this was a virtuous woman, really a virtuous woman. And so we want to get together on Saturday to celebrate her life. And I'd be asking, I'd ask you to pray for her husband, Mike, uh, and uh, the rest of the family as we gather on Saturday. And so if you can be here to support Mike and the family Saturday at two o'clock, we'll simply have a service to celebrate Terry's life and uh, we'll be uh, putting forth the gospel as always and praying that souls will be saved. I know that uh, Terry's heart's desire would be that her husband would trust Christ as his savior. And so we look forward to that opportunity this coming Saturday at two o'clock. Next Sunday, I want to put this on your radar, whether you're at home or here. I want to encourage you. We have moved into phase three, looking forward to greater and greater opportunities to open up our children's ministry uh, during the 10 o'clock hour, our Bible studies, and then Wednesday night services as well. But Lord willing, next Sunday, next Sunday, while I was away, the Lord laid this on my heart. I'm going to be beginning a four-part series that I hope will be an encouragement to every one of us entitled, We can overcome. We can overcome difficulties. We can overcome disappointments in life and discouragements. And yes, we too can even overcome depression. And so I hope you'll be here with us next Sunday, Lord willing, as we begin that new series. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd ask you to take it and turn with me this morning to Psalm 85. Psalm 85 in the precious uh, Word of God this morning. And uh, I'm going to get my glasses on as we get started this morning, and I pray that you are ready to hear from the Lord. It is good to see each and every one of you this morning. And the psalmist here has a wonderful message for us, and so let's look together. Beginning in verse number 1 of Psalm 85, the psalmist prays. He's literally praying. He says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thy anger. He says, turn us, O God, of our salvation 
and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us? He says, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? He says, show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again unto folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And certainly, Lord, we are living in desperate times, and in a desperate time our only recourse is to call upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, Lord, today I pray that we will open up our eyes, we will open up our ears, and we will be attentive to what you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll bless your word, that you'll use your word as you see fit to draw us closer to thee. But, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody who's watching and worshiping with us online and that they don't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. God, I pray that today that you would illuminate their mind and their heart, that they would recognize their need of a Savior. God, that today would be the greatest day of their life, a day that they would place their faith in the risen Savior of the world. Lord, we look forward to what you have for us, and we pray that you'll be honored and glorified through all that is said and done during this time. And God, as always, we pray it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, and for his sake, we all pray amen and amen. Well, here in our text, you're going to see with me right away that the psalmist, he is desperately, he's desperately praying for his afflicted country. And uh, he begins, notice with me in Psalm 85, he begins by praising the Lord for his former mercies. He then pleads the cause of his people. He says, hey, listen, uh, we're living in a time where people are afflicted. And so he pleads his cause. And then by faith, he actually publishes. How about this? When he prays, he's, he's thanking God. He pleads. But then he praises and, and he literally expresses his expectation of what God will do. Is that how you pray? Oh, I pray it is. That's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. And if we're honest, and we look and we study Israel's past, and we look at our situation, really the two pretty much parallel one another to some degree. I think about Israel, how they were the recipient of God's favor and God's grace over and over again. And when I think about our situation, every one of us have been benefactors of God's amazing grace. We have been saved by grace through faith, right? In Jesus Christ. The penalty of sin has been removed from our lives. So we see the similarity there. We see the similarity in that Israel had been blessed time and time again. And let's be honest, they didn't deserve it, did they? They didn't deserve it. But I would say the same thing about us. We've been blessed beyond measure, but do we deserve that blessing? No, we look around and we wonder, God, why are you blessing us? And yet he does. Like Israel then, when I read this psalm, and to be honest, I read this psalm when I got back 
from vacation and I saw that the first song that we were going to sing was Revive Us Again and I immediately thought of Psalm 85 and so the message that I had today got put on the back burner when I read Psalm 85. I thought, how amazing is this? There's one little verse that I see that the psalmist is trying to, to use here in his prayer to God, but God used it to prick my heart. And so we're here in this verse, this passage today. Like Israel then, we too for the most part, Let's just be real transparent. We're not where we need to be spiritually, are we? We're not where we need to be spiritually. Would you agree? I have three people that said they'd agree. We're not where we need to be. You may be sitting here in the Lord's house, and I'm so thankful that you've decided to be here. I'm so thankful that you're sitting at home, and you're worshiping, and you're worshiping. And, man, I can't wait till everybody comes back to the Lord's house. But the reality is, we as a people, we as a country, we as a world are not where we need to be. And so I see what's the answer. Well, I look at verse 4. Look with me, and this is the title of my message, is simply, Turn Us. Because look, the answer, I believe, is found in verse 4. When the psalmist says, Turn Us, O God of our salvation. But notice he continues on and he says, And cause thy anger toward us to cease. Oh yes, I believe the psalmist. He understands that the hinge pin, so to speak, you know, we talk about hinge pins holding up doors. I believe he understood that the hinge pin of the door to God working in the nation of Israel's life at that point was his prayer in verse 4 when he said, Turn us, O God, of our salvation. In fact, a lot of people, when you say Psalm 85, they immediately think of verse 6 where he says, Wilt thou not revive us again? And I've heard so many messages where pastors and teachers and preachers will go right in and they'll just draw a zero, a bead on verse number six. But I've rarely heard a message where we look at verse number four. But this is exactly what the psalmist does. You see, I believe that the psalmist knew that before anything could be made well with the nation of Israel, that the erring tribes of Israel would first need to be turned from their sinfulness. And I believe the same is true today. But much like we're instructed to do, the psalmist doesn't begin in verse 4. He begins back in verse number 1. You see, when we pray, uh, a lot of people, they have these, uh, these prayers where they just go and they're like, Lord, I need, I need, I need. Lord, will you do this, do this, do this, do this. Lord, uh, it, it's like almost, if you've seen the movie years ago, Bruce Almighty, Lord... I need you to answer me right now. I'm in, a, I'm in a fix. By the way, I know I'm the one that got me up myself in a fix. But Lord, I just need you to work right now. And many times I think that's how we pray. But the psalmist, notes, notice what he does. If you're a note taker, notice the psalmist begins by remembering the Lord's mercies. He doesn't look back. By the way, a lot of people say, well, don't look back. Because when you look back, all you're doing is glorifying sin and Satan, and selfishness, and on and on. But the psalmist doesn't look back to glorify sin. He looks back in order to glorify and celebrate what God had done. In fact, I'm reminded of that verse, and my predecessor used to quote it all the time. In Isaiah 51, in verse number 1, we're encouraged to remember where we came from. In fact, in Isaiah, that passage says, Hearken to me, ye that followeth after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. And it goes on and it says, Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. Oh, yes, it's okay to look back to see where we were before salvation came in. I think about how David, 
David, he celebrated the same thing. You know what he said in Psalm 40 in verse number 2? He declared that it was God who had brought him up out of that horrible pit. It was God who had brought him out of the miry clay and set his feet on the rock and established his going. Oh, it's okay to remember, and this is exactly what the psalmist does. Notice in verses 1 through 3, notice all the words. I underlined them in pencil here in my text. Notice all the favorable words that he uses to speak of God's goodness and God's mercy. In verses 1, uh, uh, 2, and 3, notice he, the word favorable. He says, God, you've been favorable to our land. You've brought back, you've returned the captivity of Jacob. You've forgiven the iniquity of the people. You've covered all their sin. By the way, there's a difference between rebellion, iniquity, and sin. Those are three different words, and you can see those meanings in Psalm 32. It's a great passage where David is speaking of his sinfulness, referencing back what he had done with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 32, you see he speaks of rebellion and iniquity and sin. Oh, we have to be very careful. He says there, look at verse number 3, he says, You've taken away all your wrath. Not only did God remove their sin, but he took away his wrath, and he turned himself from the fierceness of his own anger. Oh, the psalmist takes time to remember the Lord's mercies. And I say this all the time, that you and I, what's really cool about looking back and remembering how good and how great God is, we can not only base our faith for today and tomorrow, but we can grow our faith for today and tomorrow on past provisions. When we look back and see how good God was to us yesterday, we can trust him for today. Amen? Has God been good to us? Even in the midst of COVID-19, hasn't God been good to us? Even in the midst of a lot of people losing jobs and people suffering and hurting during this time, hasn't God been good to us? Even in the midst of social unrest, God has been good to us. Oh man, we ought to celebrate, take time to think about his goodness to us. And when we do that, when we look back, we can base our faith for today and tomorrow. We can grow our faith for today and tomorrow on what he did yesterday. Oh, what a great God we serve. In Ephesians chapter 2, I love this verse, and a lot of people uh, love Ephesians 2 in verse number 10, where the Bible tells us that we are his workmanship, that we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, right? And, and that w this idea that God hath before ordained and that we should walk in these good works. But if we were to go on and we continue reading in verse number 11, it actually tells us to remember See, it's not only that we've been created, we're his workmanship, but we're also to remember, because look at verse number 11. It says, wherefore, remember that you, or ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, notice verse 12, that at that time, you were what? Without Christ. See, even... Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to believers, to saints, if you please. And it's, he's making the point, yes, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, but just remember who you were. Remember the rock from which you were hewn and the pit from which you were dug. And this is exactly what we see in our text. When the psalmist, he remembers Israel's cleansing and their conversion Think about it. In verse number one, God had brought Jacob back from Padam Aram to his father's house. He had already done that. God had restored Israel's fellowship over and over. He had forgiven and covered all their sins. 
And so the psalmist remembers not only their cleansing, but their conversion, but also he remembers how God had blessed them. Watch this word. How God had blessed them with peace instead of punishment. You know, I remember when I was a little boy and uh, I would do something I shouldn't do. I remember I used to be grateful when my dad would give me peace instead of punishment. Anybody here like that? Uh, yeah. I always joke around. I say my dad had a weapon of mass instruction, not destruction. He had a weapon of mass instruction to do me good. Oh, listen, the psalmist remembers how God had blessed him with peace instead of punishment. But what about us? In the midst of chaos, in the midst of the time in which we're living, how many of us look back and say, God, thank you for your peace. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your power. Thank you for all the things that you have done for us. Instead of thinking about his punishment, instead of thinking about everything that seems to be going awry in our society, oh, I wonder how many of us take time to remember when we first experienced peace with the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. Do you remember that day? If you're here, thank you. Do you remember that day? I remember it just like yesterday, September the 16th, 1980. I was sitting in the second row of Calvary Road Baptist Church down here in Alexandria, right off of Franconia Road. And, and I was there, and there was a man who stood, he seemed like he was about eight feet tall. Because the pulpit only came to his waist. I thought, man, the guy has to be tall unless they had a very small pulpit. And I don't even remember what he said, but I do remember this. I realized that I was headed for an eternity separated from God. And I realized that I was an angry 13-year-old boy who had lost his mother three years ago and that I hadn't dealt with it and that I was blaming God for the fact that my mother had died. And instead of trusting God for my present happiness and my, and my future joy, I was crippled with anger. But I remember I gave my heart to Christ that night. I wonder how many remember that, that day, that night, that morning when you experienced the peace of God. Oh, listen, as we consider our spiritual condition, we ought to take time to remember who God is and how he has responded to us in the past. This is what the psalmist does. This is how he begins. But notice, the next thing I see is that the psalmist, he actually recognizes the current state of affairs. Have you recognized our current state of affairs? Does anybody need to remind you what's going on in our country today, in our world today? Countries all around the world dealing with COVID-19. Oh, listen, my friends. Social unrest and financial stress. And I'll speak about that in just a second. But it's, it's all around the world. But the psalmist, he recognizes the current state of affairs. He had remembered what God had done. He praised God for what he had done. But culture in his time, watch this, it had shifted once again. If you remember, Israel, they would always repent. God would forgive them, and then what would they do again? They would go right back to doing exactly what they had done before. Even though God was gracious, even though God was merciful to them, God would say, okay, okay. It's almost like he would take a big sigh. Okay, guys, I love you. You know I love you. Come on, let's have a big group hug. And then what would they would do? They would go back and keep doing what they were doing before. 
the current state of affairs, reminded the psalmist that God had not changed. God had not changed. The philosophies and the priorities of the people had changed. Does this sound familiar? Or am I the only one? Today I look around and I clearly see less respect for God. I look around and I see less respect for His Word. Travis was speaking on unity and he was speaking about the truth of God's Word. I see less respect for God's Word, less respect for the people of God, less respect for God's house, less respect for making time for God. We all think we can worship on our own, and we can, but we need one another. I need your encouragement. Whether you want to admit it or not, you need my encouragement. Krista? Whether you believe it or not, we need one another. God has created us to do life together. The psalmist recognized this. And it's ludicrous. I put down in my notes, right? It's ludicrous for sure, but it seems now as if we're living in an era where if the truth of God's word doesn't line up, with our truth, if it doesn't line up with my facts or my wishes or my emotions or my feelings, then it's God who is wrong, not me. Am I right? I look around. It's amazing to me. I see people taking the word of God and twisting it and creating what is not even there. Oh, we have to be careful. Our prayer should be, turn us, O oh God. Look, this is exactly what the psalmist does. Look in verse 4 and 5 with me. He says, turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thy anger toward us to cease. And then he says, he asks a question. He says, wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Obviously, the psalmist did not believe that God would draw out his anger forever because God had uh, uh, turned from his anger in the past. And so that's why he's praying now. He's saying, God, turn us. And so this is what he does. He understands that God, watch this. He says, I understand, God, that you are not going to bless us as a nation until we turn away from our rebellion, until we turn away and forsake our iniquity, until we turn away from our sinfulness. God, I recognize and understand that until your righteousness becomes more important than my own sinfulness and my own selfishness, God, that you won't bless us. Which is why, God, I'm saying here in verse number four, turn us. And when we look at verse four and we see that he says, turn us, certainly the psalmist is, is making a national request. But let me just encourage you this morning. And Larry and I, I think we're talking about this the other day. Just because he said, turn us, O God, doesn't alleviate the prayer for us individually. Because nothing will happen on a corporate level within the body of believers. Nothing will happen on a corporate level in this nation, uh, in the world, if you please, until it begins on a very personal level. I remember years ago someone said uh, the definition of revival was to draw a circle, get in the middle, and pray for everything that's in the circle. Oh, listen, we need God to turn us. You see, the psalmist understood that it wasn't God who needed to be turned, but it was the people who needed to be turned. He understood that God's anger would cease only when the sinful rebellion of the people ceased. And so he prays, turn us. 
Someone said what he was praying was simply, turn us from our sins, God. Bring us to repentance. Make us willing to forsake our evil ways and enable us to do it. Because the psalmist knew that he could do nothing of himself and the people could do nothing by themselves. That they needed God's hand to turn them. Truly, I was talking uh, even last night and even with Kristen many times we go through trials. Anybody been through a trial lately? We go through trials and testings in our life. But can I be real honest with you? I think that many of the trials and troubles that we face are self-inflicted. Think about this. I think many of the trials and troubles that we face in this life are self-inflicted. I think they come from sinful thoughts, sinful words, and sinful actions. And you guys have heard me talk about this time and time again, how I've said that we need to understand the biblical principle of desires, actions, and consequences. And a lot of times I'll use that, that analogy of desire, action, and consequence to speak of our communication with one another. But it's true in every facet of life. When our desires don't line up with the truth of God's word, when our actions are dictated by faulty facts, personal emotions, or feelings, and, and to be honest, when our actions are dictated by those faulty facts, what we end up with is consequences of what we sow, right? We, we think that our thoughts and our ways are higher than God's thoughts and his ways, but Isaiah says it's not so. In fact, Proverbs 14, 12 reminds us that there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. It's Galatians chapter 6 reminds us of this very principle, desires, action, consequences, in verses 7 and 8, where the Bible says, Be not deceived, because God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Now listen, I understand what the context of the passage is, but I think we can see the principle here. He says, Be not mocked. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's like Travis was saying last week in his message. By the way, thank you, Colby, and thank you, Travis, for great messages the past two Sundays. Amazing, amazing. I'm very grateful for that. It's like Travis was saying last week in his message. Folks, maybe it's time, maybe it's time that you and I turn like the disciples of old who were sitting there at the, at the Passover feast with the Lord and they asked, is it I? Maybe it's time that we ask the question, Lord, am I the one? Am I the one who's contributing to the commotion and conflict of our day? Or am I the one that is causing your name to be celebrated and glorified? Oh, that's a very personal question. Lord, is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying, is how I'm behaving contributing to the commotion and the crisis of the day? Or is how I'm living, how I'm responding, causing others to celebrate you and to glorify you? Oh, maybe it's time that we ask these questions Yes, we're living in a time of health crisis and financial crisis and social crisis. But folks, I got some good news for you. Jesus is still the answer. Thank you, Lindsay. Jesus is still the answer. 
He's still the great physician. He's still the great provider. He's still the great peacemaker. No, no Jesus, no peace. You know the saying. You know the thing of the thing. It has rightly been said that we have no authority for asking God to turn away his judgments unless we are willing to forsake our sins. See, we, a lot of times I think we throw up these prayers, right? The Lord's not going to listen to our prayers if we still are regarding iniquity in our heart. The psalmist has said, made that very clear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so we have to do business with the Lord in a way that's very real. I like what the writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. He says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Remember, folks, there's people who have gone on before who are watching us live our lives. And, it's, and he goes on, he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. By the way, your sin that easily besets you may not be the same sin that easily besets me or someone else. Let us, watch, and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. But how do we do it? How do we run this race? How do we deal with everything that's going on in our country? How do we deal with everything that's going on within the church? We don't even have to go outside the walls of the church to see confusion and commotion and crises. How do we do it? Oh, the very next verse tells us. Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Folks, let me just stop here and give you a little commercial. Jesus endured the cross for you and for me. I think we can endure some things for him. Right? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, as we take time to recognize the current state of affairs in our lives, in our country, and in this world, I'm asking you, I'm praying, turn us, turn us, so that your anger will cease. In verses 6 and 7, the psalmist goes on, he says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. He continues his plea here in verses 6 and 7 by asking God to do what only God could do. You see, the psalmist knew that revival doesn't come from man, it doesn't come from methods, and it certainly doesn't come from man's message, it comes from God. And so he says, God, we need you to do what you can do. First, we need you to turn us from our sinfulness. And then, God, we need you to revive us. Because revival will not come by any man-made method. The word revive in verse number 6 literally means to live or cause to live. In other words, the idea or the implication is this idea of recovering or restoring them as if they had been dead. I was reading in Albert Barnes's commentary, Notes on the Bible, and this is what he said in reference. He put it like this. He said, revival is like the image of springtime after the death of winter or the young grass when the rain descends after a long drought and everything seemed to be dead. In essence, Revival supposes that there's been life in the past, but now needs a refreshing, a restoring, if you please, of that life 
once again. I just put in my notes, friends, online, here in the room, if there's ever been a time where God, watch this, if there's ever been a time where God and the things of God have been more real to you, more important to you, more of a priority to you than they are right now, then yours and mine, our collective prayer should be revive us, Lord. Revive us again. Will you not do it again? It's like that song, do it again. I believe that he will. I believe that if we'll call out upon the name of the Lord, that he'll answer us and he'll show us great and mighty things which we know not. Oh, listen, the psalmist remembered the Lord's past mercies. He recognized the current state of affairs. But when it was all said and done, look at the last part of the psalm. It's so beautiful. He relies on God's word. He relies on God's ways. And he relies on God's wonders. Look at verse number 8. He writes, here's his plan. He says, I will hear. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But then notice he finishes. He says, but let them not turn again to folly. You know what's even more foolish than being foolish? Turning around. You're a child, you remember? Turning around and doing something you know is foolish again. If you know it's foolish, why would you return to it? And so the psalmist says, Lord, let them not turn again to folly. Keep them away from foolishness. And so he begins here in verse 8. It's amazing. He gives us a recipe, I believe, for success. And his recipe includes this. First, he says, hey, we've got to listen to God's word. But not only do we need to listen to God's word, we got to do God's word. we got to live it out. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to put it into action. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse number 15, he said, if you love me, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In John chapter 15 and verse number 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He said, he that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Watch the last word. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. Here's the point. As those who are fruit... We have the fruit of the Spirit, amen? As fruit, we will only reproduce more fruit if we stay connected to who? Jesus, the vine. Isn't that amazing? See, we're not going to have any success living out God's Word unless we stay connected. As you were talking about, Colby, a couple weeks away, a couple weeks ago, true connection, real connection, until we stay connected with Jesus. Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 1. This is the only time I'll ask you to turn today. We're almost finished. But I want you to see this passage in James chapter 1. And some of you already probably have guessed a couple of the verses that we'll read. But notice with me in James chapter 1, beginning in verse number 19. In verse number 19. Notice the Bible says these words. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man... Watch these words. It says, let every man be swift to what? To hear. Slow to speak. Slow to what? Watch what verse 20 says. For the wrath of man, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Let's let that sit for just a second. That could be a whole message right there today. 
Watch it again. Watch verse 19 again. Let's read it. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Guys, we got to stop thinking we're in control of things. We got to stop suiting up with anger and hatred and start walking in grace and truth. Oh, got kind of quiet. Look at verse 21. That, that was just a byproduct of the passage. Look at verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Look at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. See, James says that when we hear the word and we don't do what God's word instructs us to do, that we actually are deceptive to our own selves. Notice in verse 23, he says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man who beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, James says this man shall be blessed in his deed. See, when we, this is what a lot of people do. Sometimes we read God's word and we, and we may even take time to meditate on it. But then what we do instead of doing what God's word is, we put God's word aside and we say, well, I'm just going to live how I want to live. I'm going to live according to my truth, according to my facts, according to my feelings. And you know what? Like I said earlier, God's word doesn't, doesn't measure up with 2020. And so his word can't be trusted because 2020, we're living in a whole different set of circumstances. I mean, first century Christianity is one thing, but we're living in 2020, Pastor Greg. And so we might as well discount some of what God has to say. In fact, I heard yesterday that there's some who are purporting that God's word isn't even true anymore. And that's not new, by the way. It's just a resurgence in this mentality. But my friend, Psalm 119, 105 makes it very clear. It makes it very clear that we need to depend on God's word because Psalm 119, 105 reminds us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How can we see clearly? By heeding the word of God. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to the word of God. Oh, listen, we need to rely on God's word. And look at verse number 9 of our text. The psalmist says, surely his salvation, that word salvation speaks of God's deliverance, his help, his aid, is nigh or near them that fear or reverence him, that glory may dwell in our land. And notice it says, it's nigh to them that fear him. We're not talking, and we could be speaking of a, 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 a real fear, but what he's really talking about is a reverence or an awe of God. When was the last time that you just sat still or stood still or were on your knees still and you basked in the awe of Almighty God and you were remembering His goodness, the Creator God? When was the last time you set out to live your life in reverence or fear of the Lord? Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Do you stand in awe of God this morning? 
The psalmist says, here's your recipe. Listen to God's word. Live out God's word. Fear God. Stand in awe of him. Proverbs 3, classic text. We like to pick on verses 5 and 6. This is trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own ways. Uh, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. But if you go on in verse number 7, the Bible says this, Be not wise in thy own eyes. Right? Fear the Lord. Stand in awe of him and depart from evil. Oh, listen, we need to rely on his word and his ways. And verse 10 and 11, notice the psalmist says, mercy and truth are met together. What a beautiful picture he's painting here. He says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Oh, man, how amazing it is. He says, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. This is speaking of God's grace, and, and it's like this picture of four great Old Testament uh, virtues coming together as people just... Picture this, as people coming together, embracing one another in one mind, in one spirit, one accord. When you look at this idea of mercy and truth and righteousness and peace coming together, it, there's no doubt that it portrays and points forward to the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, his mercy and his truth, oh, they endure forever. It has been said that mercy requests one thing, while truth demands another. I put in my notes that sadly the reason I think that we're not seeing much mercy these days, this is kind of, <laughs> this hit me kind of hard. I think the reason that we don't see much mercy these days is because we don't see many people living according to the truth these days. The reason we don't see Christians doling out heavy doses of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Yes, I'm speaking of believers who are hypercritical of other people. Believers who are hypercritical uh, uh, and, and condemning other people. That's not, I don't find that in God's word. That's not how we're to live. We're to be a light. A city that sets on a hill cannot be hid. We're to point people to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Oh, it's so important that we remind people of the grace of God. And to be honest, I said that the reason we don't, you know, the fact that we don't see much mercy today is because we don't see people living in truth these days. That shouldn't surprise you because it doesn't surprise me. In fact, the Bible speaks of it. In fact, in 2 Timothy in chapter 4 in verses 3 and 4, notice what the Bible says in this regard. It says, for the time will come. Are we there? It says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they will not endure what is truth, what is right according to God. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And notice verse 4. The sad commentary of verse 3 follows here in verse 4. It says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and she'll be turned unto fables. No mercy, no truth, no righteousness, no peace. Listen, the answer is Jesus. We have to rely on God's goodness and his grace. You see in verse number 12, the psalmist says, Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield or increase. This speaks of God's goodness. And by faith, the psalmist believes that God's people will once again 
be the recipients of God's goodness, and I believe that as well. Oh, God is so good to us. Verse 13 says, Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. This speaks of God's leading, his guidance. And so we see not only God's grace and his goodness and his guidance, these are wonders that we can't even explain. Nobody can explain the goodness of God. Nobody can explain his grace. Nobody can explain how the Holy Spirit guides us. It's God who leads us with blessing. It's God who leads us with peace. It's God who leads us with power. And the only requirement, I love it, the only requirement is that you and I follow him. That's it. You want blessing? Follow God. You want peace? Start living and following God. You want, you want power? You want that supernatural power of God to be evidenced in your life? Start living. Start walking according to his word and his ways and his wonders. And he'll do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. Oh, that's the power of Jesus Christ. So let me wrap this up with a tiny little bow. So when we turn from our sinfulness, what are some of the results? What are some of the results? Very quickly, I think the first result is people will start living right. People will start living right. People will start living according to the righteousness that we see listed in verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. It's mentioned three times there, and it indicates the right relationships and the terms to keep them. Do you know there are some terms that keep my relationship with my wife right? Husbands, wives, there are some terms that we have agreed to, that we have committed to, that keep that relationship right. And when we don't uphold our end of those terms, it's called friction. The same is true with our relationship with God. He's done all the work, but there are some terms that we remember our righteousness is like filthy rags. So we must walk according to his righteousness. And so how do we do that? Well, guys, he's given us his word to help us. We have his word. And you know what? I think many times it's one thing to say that we have the word of God. It's another thing to put it into use. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly or completely furnished unto good works. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, it says it's profitable for doctrine. That means it's profitable for what's right. It's profitable for reproof what's not right. It's profitable for correction, how to get right. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That means how to stay right. If we would just spend time in God's word, I believe people would start to live right. And as we live right, things would begin to change. Another result, I believe, is that the church would experience greater unity. If we all were living right, the church would experience greater unity. Mercy and truth would be meeting together. Righteousness and peace would be kissing one another as people live with peace with one another. Love would be shared with one another. The truth of God's word would be shared and lived out with one another. And we would be living life according to his way, not our ways. Thirdly, and I could go on, but lastly, for the sake of our time, I think one of the results of turning from our sinfulness 
would also be that the church would see God's provision and increase once again. I believe the church would see God's provision and increase once again. You see, the more our lives are right and the more that we're living in unity with one another, walking in one accord as that early church did, I believe that the truth of God's word would be shared more regularly, more consistently, more passionately than ever before. That speaks of evangelism. That speaks of building treasures in heaven. By the way, if you're going to build anything, I was listening this morning, if you're going to build anything that's headed on to heaven, it ought to be built on spiritual things. What does that mean? That means the souls of men and women and boys and girls sharing truth. It's not your job to see souls saved, but it is our job, all of our jobs, to share the Word of God, to water the Word of God, and let God give the increase. That's our, really, that's our mission. It's to love God, love His Word, and love people enough to share that with people. Oh, listen, the church would see God's provision and increase. And inevitably what takes place, the more that we live out God's word, the more that we walk in unity, the more that we share his word, I believe that there'd be more people who would be coming to God's house. I believe that there'd also be more people who would be committing their lives to Jesus Christ. I think really the reason a lot of people don't commit their lives to Jesus is because they don't see us living our lives for Jesus. To be honest. We tell them about Jesus and then they watch our lives. I remember years ago, Kristen and I lived over in Centerville, Virginia, and we had neighbors, and some of you have heard this story. We had neighbors living right across the street, African-American family. The son had died in a, uh, um, a racing accident over in Manassas on that racetrack over there. And uh, I remember about after six or seven years of living in that neighborhood, I left Battlefield Baptist Church. We were attending we used to sit right down here where Chelsea's sitting. And we went home and we got home and as soon as I pulled up in the driveway, the wife came running across the street. And she said, oh, would you come? Would you come? Would you come? And she was crying and I said, what's, what's, what's wrong? She said, we just want you to come and pray with us. I said, why would you want me to come and pray with you? I just wanted to find out. It wasn't like I was being hard or insensitive. I said, why? I, I, I said, sure, but after the fact, I said, why would you have us, why would you ask me to come and pray? And this is what she said. Because my husband and I have watched your life for the past umpty ump years. And we know and believe you to be a man of God. People are watching. People are watching how we live our lives. It's so incredibly important. And so as we close, I beg you to remember, I beg you to remember who you are and what the Lord has done for you in the past. I beg you to remember what your current state of affair is. Don't look to somebody else. Don't, don't take this message and say, oh man, like Travis said, I wish such and such were sitting here in the pew. I wish such and such were listening online. They really needed to hear about turning away from their sinfulness. Oh man, why don't you just ask God, God, is it I? Do I need to be turned today? And Lord, I probably do need to be turned, so you do the turning. You do whatever is necessary. Here's the rub. When we ask God to turn us, sometimes he does whatever is necessary to turn us. And sometimes that's not comfortable. And so maybe that's you today. 
But at the end of the day, I would just ask you to simply rely on God's word and his ways and his wonders. And I believe that when we remember and we recognize and we commit ourselves to relying on God, that you and I will be perfectly positioned. We will be perfectly positioned for our great God, the great I am, if you please. We will be perfectly positioned for him not only to turn us, but for him to revive us individually and then corporately. I want to close with a verse that is iconic. And really, we simply see a principle. Again, this was spoken in Second Chronicles, a different time, a different context of Scripture, historically, grammatically, contextually, hermeneutically, we can go through it all. But the principle is still there for us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14. And the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Now watch this. And seek my face. And what? Turn from their wicked ways. The Bible says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Lord, I believe that we need to be turned. Lord, I believe that we're living in a day and age in which we need to be revived. Not only in this church, not only in this, this body of believers, but all across this country, all around the world. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up now more than ever before. And so, God, we need you to turn us from our sinfulness. And, God, we need you to revive us once more. The psalmist said, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. I pray that that would be our prayer today, that we would be willing and understand that healing will not come until we turn from our own rebellion, until we turn from our own iniquity, till we turn from our own sin, and we make the righteousness of God the priority that it needs to be in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the time that we've had. Lord, I thank you for giving me the strength just to even to be able to stand behind this sacred desk. And God, just to pour out my heart today. And Lord, I'm just a weak individual, but you are strong. And so, Lord, I pray that you have shown yourself strong again today in speaking to hearts and lives of your children. God, I pray that you've shown yourself strong to those who may need to enter into relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, I pray that we as a people would be ready and willing to turn from our sinfulness, to allow you to do whatever is necessary to get a hold of our hearts to turn us away from our own philosophies, to turn us away from our own worldly priorities and to focus again on you and your goodness and your mercy and your truth and your righteousness. And yes, Lord, your peace instead of punishment. Lord, I love you. I thank you for how you've worked in the past. I praise you for how you'll work now and in the days ahead. Lord, I give you this praise in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for his sake, we pray amen and amen. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.